Keith Richards said in his autobiography that the name Angie came from him while in Switzerland detoxing from heroin. I wrote Angie in an afternoon sitting in bed because I could finally move my fingers and get them in the right place again. It was not about any particular person. It was a name like, oh, Diana. Um, You know, I'm a huge fan, Gary more of 60s music. In fact, I had a 60s record collection, a couple of hundred albums of all the great bands, but not one Rolling Stones album. Didn't like them, but I love this song. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I always, I, I always enjoyed um, Rolling Stones, but I, I, I was just thinking when you were talking about Keith Richard, he... When he dies, they must take him apart and find out what made him survive. <laughs> They'll be doing analyses, that's for sure. <laughs> God's truth. It's a beautiful yes. song, isn't it, Catherine? That's oh, lovely. Yeah. It's transcendental. I grew up with the sound of the Rolling Stones and Cheap Trick glaring through my bedroom walls from my old brother, who still this, to this day plays the Rolling Stones any opportunity he gets. <laughs> and he had a T-shirt with the tongue everything that my father screen printed Oh, for so him. he's a big Stones fan. Yes, my older brother yeah. loves the Stones to this day. And we, I pretty much know most of the words to everything, actually, wow. even though I don't want to, but that's just what happened in our household. <laughs> Over and above, say, the Beatles? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Hmm. No, he's not that old. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> that's no. more my era. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very good. Uh, look, thank you for your response regarding uh, Fat Bottom Girls, uh, the song. Um, my only, yeah, there's quite a bit on that. We'll come to that later. But thank you for your comments on that. That uh, If you just uh, joined the panel, that song is to be cut from a new Queen's compilation, aimed, Queen compilation rather, aimed at the younger market. You're on the panel, Wallace, uh, you might, National. Yes, You Gary. might like to know that I've just had feedback from a friend of mine in Australia okay. agreeing with me about the South Island, so there you go. We've had a bit of response on that, and actually we might even return to that on the program in the week. Gary Moore here said uh, he wanted a minister for the South Island. Why? Because the South Island gets forgotten. I live in Waikā Waitohi, and we are the corridor for entering the South Island for the public, other than the airports. Mm. The railway to Christchurch and then Dunedin starts here and is mostly denied of transport by Australian-owned trucks. Let's get the South Island credited with its contribution to our country. There's so many responses uh, about that, so uh, thanks for that, Gary. But to this... It's 2023, rural New Zealand, and a group dressed as Ku Klux Klan members walk into a community hall. Not a headliner that I thought I'd be reading this weekend. They were there for the Kaimai Settlers Committee quiz night Saturday and weren't, weren't removed or were not asked to leave. Their team name was Give Us a Clue. They had a petrol can on the table and apparently were awarded a prize for their commitment to their costume. So to discuss this and actually whether to ban such behaviour in Aotearoa, Distinguished Professor Emeritus Paul Spoonley, co-director at the National Centre of Research Excellence for Preventing and Countering Violent Extremism. Professor Spoonley, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. What was your reaction when you first heard about this? I'm I'm deeply, deeply disappointed. I mean, I, I should add to your story that they have apologised to the Kaimai Settlers Committee, but that's not the point. They should never have thought it was OK to dress up as members of a hate group who have caused so much 
hurt and harm over the years. Uh, it's not funny and it should not be allowed to happen really here. There was a moment, wasn't there? There was a, a, an audible gasp uh, when they entered late. Um, I guess many focus on the fact that nothing was done to remove them, Paul. No, and, and I think that's my second um, comment here, Wallace, and that, that is that w- when we encounter this sort of um, racism or inappropriate behaviour in New Zealand, we really do need to step up and... Uh, oh, that's noisy. <laughs> Just <laughs> downtown Auckland, yeah. step up and and to and to um, and to say no, guys, it's not appropriate. Either take them off or leave. And I'm a bit mm. disappointed that the organisers didn't have the courage to do that. Um, perhaps I mean, Gary, you're you're a mayor. I mean, surely this sort of thing is is just not acceptable in any forum. No, I. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you, and it it sort of honours deeply racist behaviour. I think what I would do if I were uh, the mayor uh, in Tauranga, and I, uh, they haven't got a mayor at the moment, but um, I would um, insist that those four young men had a history lesson on the Ku Klux Klan and how revolting it was, and and actually identify them and say, these guys want to say an apology to our city because it's really... The Ku Klux Klan history is just revolting and yeah, it's so not funny and, at all. And, and you mentioned, and you mentioned uh, Wallace, the, the petrol can. So that invokes all of the burnings mm. and lynchings mm. and everything else that the KKK were involved with. So, it, you know, they really compounded the error there. Catherine... Well, you'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt, wouldn't you? You'd like to think that here's some young guys and they think it's funny because they're so ignorant that they know nothing about the symbolism and the actual acts of the KKK. But when the story gets bigger and you hear the detail that they went, the the trouble that they went to around having a petrol can on the Mm. table, then what that signifies to me is Tauranga is clearly a deeply racist community, and the second thing is that um, is that it, as no one actually got up and protested, what does that say for that Kaimai community? And I would say that it says quite a lot, and it's really, really disappointing. And I don't think you're ever going to be able to ban this kind of behaviour because how could you? But um, can I come back on that and yeah. say, is it fair to? Um, cast that sort of aspersion on the whole city. I mean, Tauranga is a large city, Catherine. Uh, it's quite a, a strong thing to say. You're quite entitled to say it, but um, well, I'd I'd it's just like to quote Taika Waititi that New Zealand's just a little bit racist. You know, it's a little bit racist everywhere, and this is not the first racist incident that I've heard of coming out of Tauranga. It's the last of a long line of racist incidents. So. You know, the fact that these guys just thought it was funny is um, irreprehensible. And I, I agree with Gary. I think some kind of apology. But the trouble is then is that they will, when they, once they're identified, because clearly they're unidentified wearing a hood, once they're identified, then they will become the target of all sorts mm. of abuse, I would mm. imagine. Not sure. Well, let's put that to Paul Spoonley. Paul, is there something in that, that there is uh, <laughs> incidents like these don't come from anywhere? Is there, a, is there some sort of reckoning or some sort of um, reconciliation that maybe communities do have to have to say, OK, 
what is going on here? What mm. makes it happen? What, why is the community allowed to enable this to happen? I mean, it's outrageous. It, it is outrageous, Wallace, and I agree entirely with you. And I think what, what, what it does is it raises fundamental questions about our lack of history that we don't know about this or the Holocaust or, you know, Islamophobia. And, and to think it's okay for anybody to, you know, call upon those histories of hate to do this is really quite inappropriate. And, and, and I agree with Catherine. I think there have been a number of instances, both KKK, but also the blackface instances, mm. where we had one quite recently in Christchurch, where, you know, not only did people think it was okay, but then the people who were there didn't call it out for what it mm. was. So, you know, it's a fundamental um, lack of historical understanding, which we, we need to set right in order for people to understand how offensive this sort of toxic hate is. Just uh, uh, one point can I ask you, yes. uh, Paul, yes. that uh, there is now a movement in Australia to ban Nazi salutes and insignia. Do we need to look into banning behaviour, insignia, stuff like this here in New Zealand? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of banning. But Why I think not? What we need to, well, because I don't think it works. Uh, mm. it, it tends to make masses of people, and, and you get these boundary problems. So the mongrel mob use Nazi insignia. So is, is that a, as offensive as somebody who dressed up as Adolf Hitler or who, who wears a KKK? Well, and is I've it? Two, two, yeah, w- on. Well, w- why would yes, it not it be? You, you, no, 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 abs- absolutely. But then, you know, by then... And, well, can I just say a couple of things, um, Wallace? First of all is I always say educate before legislate. So I think there's a public um, role and um, process that we need to go through here. But then we also need to make it very clear that there are some behaviours, there are some words, there are some symbols which are simply unacceptable. And the question for me is I think we need to have a bit of a debate about that. So banning it makes it is a sort of fairly crude way of going about it, but we should say that these are things that are not acceptable in our society. These are what we've signed up to. We we do not accept that these are appropriate in our community because of their offensiveness to others. Final thoughts, Catherine? Well, we have to know our own history first and foremost. Yes. And I think yes. the fact is, is that these young guys, for some, for some reason, are referencing the KKK in Aotearoa, we've had our own instances of apartheid with the no Māori allowed policies in small towns like Pukekohe and Tuakau, and um, and not many people are aware of those. And recently there was a very well-made documentary called No Māori Allowed that explored that. So until we know our own history, I think it's, it's, it's still going to be these guys are going to use the KKK and other symbols of other, peop- other nations, not that I'm promulgating using... Um, you know, symbols of our own racism, but, you know, this is about knowing history and knowing the significance of history, and I agree with Paul. Very good. Yes, no, no, I I, I would agree entirely with that, Catherine. Our own history, but also global history. Nice to have you on the programme, Professor Spoonley. Thank you. Uh, That's uh, Paul Spoonley there. Now, um, people are saying that, look, just by the way, uh, Kaimai Settlers Hall is outside the Tauranga city boundary. So uh, 
there you go. It is 15 to 5. The panel are NZ National. Catherine Graham and Gary Moore with me today. Younger workers are showing the highest levels of job stress, job anxiety and job depression, according to a new study from Massey University. Not good results in the whole for the 35 and under category. On the flip side, older workers are the happiest, with workers 51 and over showing the highest levels of positive workplace being. Really interesting research here, so we thought we'd get in Dr Zoe Port uh, with us, who is the research. Kia ora, Zoe. Kia thanks so much for having me. Tell us about the research, how do you conduct it? Sure, so this research has been undertaken by um, myself and my colleague, Professor Jared Ha. We thought we'd bring the youth and the old perspective there, and it was an online survey uh, that we conducted. We got 709, to be exact, uh, New Zealand workers of all ages last year, and we were asking questions relating to work-related factors uh, and also well-being-related measures, which I can um, discuss and unpack with you now. When you're ready. Well, did participants have to give reasons for their answers? I mean, do we know why? That's what I'd really like to know. Yeah, no, great question. This was what we call a quantitative cross-sectional survey. So we were primarily looking at numbers, getting them to rate how they felt in relation to a number of things. So this is not something we've delved into more depth with, although um, I think when I, I've got, you know, I can kind of compare with you now, I think we can link certain outcomes together. And also I have um, I do a lot of work myself with young workers. I'm young or youth adjacent and also do a lot of um, work with yeah, young worker advocacy. So I think I've also seen um, in the flesh what, things that might point to why we're seeing these findings. Should we start with you, Gary? Well, I I find this quite interesting, actually, because um, our family has a company and and our younger employees have been excellent, particularly Mm. when we treated them well. Mm-hmm. And um, but one of the things I I I watch I look at my grandchildren and I'm looking at they spend their time on individualising on a cell phone, and I wonder if they are having the they are the culture shock between working us working collectively in a business and their individual desire to actually just relate to that screen. I don't know that might be a very dumb observation, but. I just wonder if we're individualising our kids to the point where working with others might be quite difficult. It's an interesting observation and question, if you will. Uh, I think what I will say is, you know, I'm very mindful of what we can and can't claim from these findings. We didn't really tap into those attitudes, although as soon as you said technology, um, my ears picked up because you might find this interesting. One of the things that our younger worker group scored most highly for is using technology to do work outside of work hours. Mm. So that kind of speaks to what you're saying, that that being connected and switched on, doesn't it? Um, Mm. And I don't necessarily, I guess in the context of these findings, we don't necessarily think it's a good thing. Um, It's not terrible, but it's, we think that is one reason, for example, that we're also seeing those younger workers with the lowest perceptions of work-life balance, which oh. then is leading to those those stressful outcomes. But yeah, high stress, high anxiety, high depression, low happiness. So, uh, well, I wouldn't want to speak outside my expertise because uh, I do think younger generations, especially Gen Z, I do think they have a collective mindset and they feel very connected to um, social causes, for example, although um, it's interesting. I, it's not something I would claim that we could, uh, yeah, deduct from these findings as such, but um, it let's, is an interesting observation. Let's bring Catherine in. What do you take from this? And when you have, do you do you get any anecdotal sort of uh, feedback on younger colleagues that go, "Oh, I'm just not happy here." <laughs> um, 
Well, Zoe, how much do you think it's to do with expectation and resilience? Because I wonder about our younger generation's expectations that they have around work and around their employment and where they should be in that employment. Mm. And then when they are feeling like they're not getting to where they should be, how resilient they are, you know? Mm. Mm. I think, uh, and that, that's, that's a comment I, I hear at times that younger workers perhaps um, expect to, to rise up quicker through, through the ranks, I think. Um, what I would say is that, again, what we can bring from the, the, the study, one thing that our younger workers did report was uh, perceptions of lower support from their employer and also perceptions that their work was less meaningful. They felt that they had the chance to engage in less meaningful work. I think tapping into what you're saying about those expectations, um, the... I think we could all agree um, having having a supportive employer and manager and workplace is, is a reasonable expectation. So I think maybe that's one to point to that that is somewhere where our employers of younger people seem to be falling short, at least according to our sample. Uh, again, I my my under, or I guess my experience of the younger generations, especially Gen Z. Um, Often they are more willing to question, I guess, hierarchy, as you're saying, you know, question, why can't I move up quicker? You know, if I've got these things, show me the path to move up through the workplace um, because if I'm not moving into a role that I feel fits my capabilities and I'm not understanding why, mm. I think that does really lead to dissatisfaction. But I think just at a more, more basic level, again, what we're seeing with our findings, just these basics of the workplace that they're just feeling they're not receiving. So they don't see meaning in their work. They don't feel supported. Um, they also feel most likely that their employer is watching them more so than other age groups, which is interesting. Okay. So I, I find that fascinating. Really one things, things, yeah. One of the things I, I wonder about is as probably the oldest person here, um, my employers, all of them had, a, they all felt that they, these were accountants' offices, they felt they had a responsibility towards my training. And mm. I wonder how much of our society has made us measure everything without necessarily the other side of the picture, the educative role and responsibility of older people. Mm. Zoe, on that note, we'll have to leave it there. I really appreciate it. This could be a half-hour discussion, actually, but uh, thank you for your time, and hopefully we can return to it. Yeah, Dr. Port there, Uh, Zoe Port. uh, Younger workers are showing the highest levels of job stress. Um, Anna says, I'm really disappointed to hear that no one stood up to express their horror at the incident where the KKK costume Mm. people went in. It showed a lack of leadership from the other members of the audience. As a society, we do need to step up our game about saying, hey, this is not acceptable. It's hard to do, but it's so important to look after our more vulnerable community. I agree with your panellists that it does say something about a particular area. This is not the world I want my mokapuna to grow up in. So mm. collectively, let's do better. Thank you. And mm. there is a big response. I want to put this out to you. I want to, I want to share a thought with you. And this is to people who live in the South Island. Do you think you are being forgotten? Are you being forgotten? Because there have been quite a few on the back of Gary's. I've been thinking, they say, hey, what about us? Why don't you email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz? As a South Islander, are you being forgotten? We'll come to it later in the week. But finally, to this, the paper run. 
Look, it's a classic first job for many young people. Maybe it's the local paper, maybe it's the pamphlet run with the weekly supermarket specials. But what are the rules here? An Auckland woman posted to Facebook expressing concern about her niece being asked to deliver an extra 35 kilograms of cat food samples alongside her normal 35 kilograms of pamphlets for the same money. My producer Ayana can record delivering the local paper when she was nine getting $7.20 in cash in the brown envelope weekly. That's young. With us is employment lawyer at Web Ferry Lawyers, Kimberly Jarvis. Kia ora, Kimberly. Kia ora. How old do kids have to be to work a job like a paper run? Uh, well, well, if there's no um, actual minimum age, and in fact, if you're under 16, there's not even a minimum wage um, for doing that work. So, um, I mean... Presumably, as long as you're big enough to walk and follow instructions, you can probably be employed as a paper art. When you think about that, Catherine, isn't it odd that you could be nine and at the end of your shift, you might well get a gold coin? It's all coming back to me as to why I never, ever had a paper run. <laughs> it's just not financially worth it. <laughs> So you never had I a disagree. paper run? I disagree. Okay. No, never. Stay there. I disagree. Kimberly, Gary. <laughs> I bought my first Austin 7 off my paper run. <laughs> that says a lot about you, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it was a long time So ago. you're saying it was worth it? Yeah, look, I, I, was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about uh, my, our granddaughter who worked, uh, works for the family business, and she worked on a low wage until one time she worked out she was being ripped off and demanded a pay rise. And so by that stage that she'd realised that she was worth it. And so so um, I, I think that there is an element of training and you're not, you're of it, you really are not worth a lot right. delivering papers. And I can remember having extra deliveries as well. Um, and we didn't get anything extra. I, I just think that's somebody being pathetic actually it does seem a bit 35 kgs of cat food is a lot that's 70 kgs total for a what a 19 year old well you do two runs then Well, that's God, double the you yeah. You're just Gary. soft. Gosh. Yeah, no, we're getting we're getting soft, Gary. Absolutely. But back to Kimberley, are there other rules for working kids in New Zealand? Yeah, there are. So, um, no worker under fifteen is required to lift any weight or perform a task that would be likely to be harmful to their health. So, there's probably a good argument to say, well, how much does this child weigh? Um, because if you think about what uh, we would expect an adult to pick up. Um, we're not expecting, for the most part, adults to be lifting stuff on their own that's their body weight or double their body uh, weight um, at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that you'd, you'd have to look at it the same way as you would um, lifting for any other industry or for an adult in terms of what makes it reasonable, what makes it harmful. But my gut feeling would be saying um, I, I wouldn't be expecting an adult to lift their own body weight more. So it probably seems like that's going to be harmful in my view. Catherine? Well, it's, it's I mean seventy kgs is what that young woman was having to carry, and I I don't know because I I get a paper delivered. I have to admit, once a week on a Sunday, and mm. it comes in the wee small hours. And I would hate to think that a small child under twelve or sixteen is delivering that. And I can only hope that it is someone with mm. a car or 
something. But it doesn't seem fair. The more you lift, the more you should get paid. Someone says, I was paid $2 a week for my morning paper run in Dunedin. I am 67, and every month we would go out on a Saturday to collect the money. Those were the days. Very nice to have you on the show, Kimberly. Well, kia ora. Um, speak to you again. So, yes, uh, did you do a paper run? Paper runs are contracts, not employment, but do you have to be 18 to commit to a contract? So that, um, what, what was it, an Austin 7, Gary, was it? Yeah, they were cheaper in those days. Yes, but, I can imagine. I, I just think, though, that the it's sort of the ethos of work, it's the responsibility, and I, I must say that um, uh, my boss, Wally Harris in Palmerston North, used to let me drive his Ford 10 van and we'd deliver the papers. And that, to me, was the bonus for me, to drive this dreadful old van. Um, but no, I, th- I think it's great that kids can have all sorts of jobs to teach them the ethos and the beauty of work. The love of a local paper run, eh? Very good. All right, uh, Gary Moore, Catherine Graham, kia ora to you both. Lovely to have Thank you both. You. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow at 3.5. Checkpoint is next.